I want to talk to you today about how to raise godly children in an ungodly world. And the, I know that not everyone here, not everyone watching is a parent. And so I want to just say to you that if you will take these principles, and even if you don't have children, if you will take these principles and you will apply it to other important relationships in their life, they will bless those relationships too. How do you raise godly children in an ungodly world? This is a scary time to be bringing children into the world and raising children, right? I mean, I hear that all the time from young families. They'll say this is a really scary time to be having children. Now, let me let you in on a little secret. Every parent has felt that way all through the centuries. No matter what time period you grow up in, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing privilege to be a mom and dad. I mean, there is something about from the moment they put that little baby in your arms for the first time, there is something that will come over you that you can't prepare yourself for. A sense of pride, a sense of instantaneous love and desire to sacrifice and literally be willing to lay down your life from the moment that you see that little one. It's an amazing privilege, but it's also an overwhelming, awesome responsibility. The moment you hold that little one in your arms, you suddenly think to yourself, I'm too young for this. I don't know how to raise a child. And when they send you home from the hospital, you think they must have lost their mind to put you in that car with that child and send you home with that baby. You're overwhelmed. You think, I don't know how to do this. A child doesn't come with a set of instructions. They don't come fully assembled, you know, and all of a sudden, God entrusts to you a human being that he has created, and it's your job to not just care for them, but to raise them up in the way that God created them to go and to help them get to know him and become a man and woman after his own heart. And that is overwhelming. And it's scary. And when you add to that the fact that we're living in a world that is just frankly hostile to children and hostile to raising godly kids. I mean, we're living in dangerous times. We're living in uncertain times. We're living in a world that where evil is just seems to be becoming more and more prevalent. We're living in a time of great temptation when our children are being exposed to temptations way sooner than they should be. They're being exposed to things that are well beyond their maturity levels because of technology, because of all the, the communication ways that we have today to communicate Kids are being exposed to things that are just beyond their maturity level. And so when you add all those things together, it is a, it's a scary time to be a parent. And so the fact that you feel unprepared as a parent combined with the fact that we live in very dangerous, difficult, hostile times, it makes being a parent an overwhelming responsibility. And, you know, you'd begin to think, you know, when you add to the, the fact that it seems like in our, at least in our country, so oftentimes the school systems seem to be just intent and intentionally trying to teach values that are in direct opposition to the values that you hold. 
that we see television shows and we see entertainment companies that are intentionally and deliberately exposing our children to things and to values that are not in keeping with what we know that God wants us to do. We're living in a world that is hostile to our faith. We're living in, in a time when it seems that, that through music, through television, through movies, through social media, through the internet, through all the things that people are exposed to today, it seems that there is this agenda to do everything that can be done to separate a parent from their child as soon and as often as possible. In fact, we're living in a world when it seems that we all read and see that, that it seems that the, oftentimes the leaders in this nation who are the leaders in education, they will frankly state and believe that the school district knows how to raise their your children better than you do. So we're living in dangerous, difficult days. So if you combine that with the fact that we all feel unprepared, then you would almost think the odds are overwhelmingly against us. Except that God is for you. And the Bible says if God is for you, who could ever be against you. God is for you. And God will give you the wisdom. He will give you the discernment and the insight into your children, into your grandchildren. He will give you the supernatural power. He will give you every resource you need to accomplish his purposes. God is for you. And so hold on to him. And recognize that he is more than enough. And his word and his principles and his spirit are more than enough to enable you to successfully accomplish the task that God has entrusted to you as a parent. So how do you raise godly children in an ungodly world? That's what I want to talk to you about today. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, a passage that we often preach on at this time of year because it is so applicable to our day and age. The book of Deuteronomy is really Moses. It's his last sermon to the children of Israel. He is about to die. And this is his last charge as he is recounting the history of the nation over the last 40 years, their wanderings. He is pointing out what God has done for them, how they have failed hoping that they will learn from their mistakes, that they will focus on the Lord. And so all through this book, Moses is challenging them to commit themselves to the Lord. Now, Israel is, has been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Moses is about to die. Joshua is about to take over. And they are about to go into the land that God has promised to them. But the promised land was filled with tribes of people that were evil. They were perverted. They were incredibly wicked. In fact, one of the reasons why God had waited this long to take them in Israel into the land was because God was going to use the nation of Israel to frankly judge those societies because they were so idolatrous the Canaanites were so perverted, they were so wicked, they were so immorally perverted, they were so 
evil and mean and violent that God was going to use Israel to judge those nations. So now Israel is going into a land that is incredibly hostile to their faith in God. And so Moses is giving them instructions on how they are to raise godly children in an ungodly world. And I want us to learn from that today. Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Moses says, these are the commands, decrees, and laws that the Lord our God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them, so this is your children and your grandchildren, may hear, may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all the commands the Lord has given you. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your homes and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you a land with large and flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, vineyards and olive groves you did not plant, then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God. Serve him only and take oaths in his name. It is interesting, I believe it's in verse 7, where he says intentionally, impress these things on your children. That word impress there means to pierce, where it goes down deep into their heart, into the very fiber of their being. Impress. So, you know, think, think with me about, you know, an impression. So let's say you have a stamp or something and you impress it on something. It leaves a mark, right? It leaves something that represents what was being impressed on them. And this is what God is saying. He says, I want you to so influence and so impress your children that it leaves a mark on them about me. So God says, I want you to be intentional in trying to influence your children to love me with all of their hearts, with all their soul, and with all their strength. Now, it's interesting to me how many people that I have met, how many Christian parents through the years have told me, well, you know what, I, I try not to influence my children spiritually. I want them to make up their own minds. I've tried to 
allow them to be exposed to all the different kinds of things, and, and I want them just to make up their minds. And parents oftentimes have this fear that if they somehow intentionally try to influence their child, that the child will feel somehow that they're being overbearing and that they will reject it outright. But I want you to know, you as a parent, try to impress your children on those things that are important to you. I don't, I don't know of any parent who doesn't think and try to impress on their children that it's important to do a good job in their academics in their school. Every parent impresses on their child that they need good dental hygiene, that they need to go to the doctor, or they need to take their medicine, or they need to take their vitamins, or they need to, to do, you know, their chores. And so we tend to impress on our children those things that are really important to us, the things that we think are really important. And when we don't try to impress something on a child, they automatically interpret it must not be important. So God wants you and me to intentionally seek to influence our children. Now, notice the word I used, influence, not control. We're not trying to be overbearing. We're not going to try to control, but we're seeking to influence. So how do we influence our children? That's really what I want to give you some practical steps of how to do this. But these principles are true for anyone you're trying to influence. Because we as Christians are supposed to be trying to influence those that we know without Christ. We're supposed to be trying to influence others in our lives to know God better, to love Him more, right? So we're supposed to be trying to influence many people. And so these principles will work regardless of which relationship you apply them to. So the first principle of making a deep impression on your children, your grandchildren, or on others is to live a right example in front of them, to be the right model. You need to be the personification of what it is you're trying to get them to be. If your life is going to leave a mark on them that causes them to want to love God, then your life is going to have to have loved God. You're going to have to be a role model and a, a model and an example that causes your children to want to be like you. Now, he says in verse 5 of Deuteronomy chapter 6, he says to the parents, he says, you love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. And then the next verse says, now and then impress them on your children. But before you can impress them on your children, it has to be real in your own life. So you have to be a good example. You have to be a good model. So let's just stop and ask the question. Is Jesus Christ the most important thing to you? Is that reflected in the way you live? Is it reflected in the way you talk? Is it reflected in your schedule, your calendar, what you do with your time, what you do with your money? Is it reflected in how you conduct yourself, what you watch? 
the Bible says you and I need to love God with all of our hearts. We need to be an example. We need to be a role model. And if we're going to impress our children and we're going to somehow influence them to where they want to love God, then they need to see that in us. And far too many parents have the attitude, well, I do as I say and not as I do. But you're going to impress, you're going to influence your children and your grandchildren. And it's not really so much what you say, it's what you live. That's what they're going to pick up is really important. So mom and dad, you can say all the right things and you need to say the right things. But if you say the right things, but your life doesn't back it up, then they're just going to interpret that you don't really have that as a priority and that it's not really important and they'll just talk about it to their kids and not live it. They're going to, to a great extent, many times, they're going to be in, in, they're going to have an impression of your life on them. So whatever it is you want to impress on them, you must be. Now here's the good news. You don't have to be a perfect model. You don't have to be a perfect parent to raise godly children. Thank goodness. Because there is no such thing. We all make mistakes. We all make a lot of mistakes. In fact, as a parent, it's, on, it's the ultimate on-the-job training. You're learning how to be a parent as you go. And I want to let you in on a little secret. That never changes. I'm now 65 years old. I have two grandsons. But I've never been a grandfather before with a 10-year-old grandson. This is the first time. So though I'm 65 years old, I'm still learning how to do that. It's always the first time for something, and it will be that way the rest of your life. We're all learning on the fly, and we all make mistakes. And it's not that you're not a perfect parent or a perfect grandparent. That's not what causes kids to reject the Lord. What causes kids to turn their back on the Lord oftentimes is hypocrisy where they hear mom and dad say one thing, but then they do something else. So part of being a good role model is that when you blow it, you acknowledge it. Isn't that a good skill for them to learn? Isn't that a good thing for them to learn? That when you blow it, when you make a mistake, that you apologize, you humble yourself, you acknowledge your mistakes? that you, in fact, apologize to your children when you lose your temper on them, when you get irritable and you say something a little harsh, that you actually humble yourself and that you ask for their forgiveness. Too many parents feel like that somehow if they were to do that, that their kids would, would lose respect, that they would lose this position of authority. Actually, just the opposite is true. They'll respect you more. Kids are so quick to forgive and so don't fear making mistakes or that you blow it. But when you do blow it, a genuine model is someone, an authentic believer is someone that when you blow it, you say, I'm sorry. You acknowledge that what you did was wrong. You ask for forgiveness and then you get up and then you do better. And then when you blow it again, you say, I'm sorry. And so you don't have to be a perfect parent, just a genuine one. 
Now, if you're a genuine believer who is trying to be authentic, so when you blow it, you say, I'm sorry, and you're trying to learn, and you're trying to grow to know God better, you're, none of us have arrived, but the issue is, are you in the process? Are you growing? That's what's really important. So are you making progress, and are you striving to know God better and become more and more like him? You're on this journey. And so if you are, then that is the kind of model that will make an impression on not only your children and grandchildren, but on your friends, on your neighbors, on your coworkers, whoever it is you're seeking to influence. Now, once you are a genuine model, you're loving God, you're putting Jesus first in your own life, then the second principle is this, and it's, it's if I don't get to say anything else, this is it. The second principle of influencing is that keep a close relationship with them. Fight for the relationship. Prioritize the relationship. Because when you keep a relationship close, you will always remain a major influencer in their life no matter how old they get. You will always be a major voice in their life if you keep the relationship close. And if you are a major influencer in their life, then you're going to influence them for the rest of their lives. Now, they are therefore going to be influenced to want to be like what you are. So if you want to, be a, to raise godly kids and godly grandkids, then you've got to be the right model, and then you stick close to them. And you keep the relationship close doing everything in your power. You can't control it, but you're doing everything in your power to try to stay close and to stay growing in that relationship. And if you do that, you will be the number one influencer in their life when they're young, and you will always remain a major influencer in their life no matter how old they get. So keep the relationship close. Now, how do you do that? Because I'm telling you, everything in this world is trying to pull that apart. Everything. There are so many good things going on in this world, so many good opportunities going on in the world today that if you're not careful, you will get your kids so involved and so busy doing all these good things, they miss the most important thing, which is time with you. So how do we stay close? I believe God is the greatest example of a father, and he's, he shows us how to do that. And the unseen God wanted you and I to know him, and so the unseen God became a man, stepped down from the throne of glory, humbled himself, and entered our world as one of us. He took on our pains and our sorrow and our sin, and the things that we cared about, he began to care about, and he showed interest, and he entered our world, that incarnational principle. So if you want to stay close to your children, regardless of what age they are, and your grandkids, then you must enter their world. 
You've got to humble yourself and become interested in what they're interested in. Too oftentimes, parents or grandparents don't know how to relate to their kids and their grandkids, and, and they keep expecting or hoping that their grandkids will somehow show an interest in what they're interested in. But you need to turn that around. You need to pursue them. You need to show interest in them. You need to find out what they're interested in, and you need to learn about it, and you need to try to show interest so you can talk to them about that. I remember when my children were little, you know, I, uh, I tried to find whatever my children were interested in, and I would try to become interested in that. And as they grew, their interest changed. And their interest expanded. And I would change with them. And I would become more, I would become interested in what they're interested in. And now I have grandkids. And I got to tell you, it's not easy as a, as a grandfather now to, to, to stay connected and to stay up to date on what my grandkids are up to date on. But we work at it. Just this last week, my wife, Carol, I could, she was looking on the internet and she was looking up one of the, the little children's programs that one of my grandsons loves to watch and has a great interest in right now. And my wife, I did not, I'd never even heard of it. And my wife had heard of it and she was looking it up so she could read about it, so she would know who the characters were, so she could, when the grandchildren came over, she could play with them and talk and converse with them about that. So you find what they're interested in and you enter their world where you can talk to them about what it is that's an interest on their heart. And if you're interested in what they're interested in, they're much more likely to be interested in what you have to say. You will be a major influencer in their life. So enter their world. You pursue them. Don't wait for them to pursue you. Relentlessly pursue that relationship with them. Even if they rebuff it, you just continue to pursue. Is that not what God does with you? So how do you stay close to them? You pursue a relationship. You find what they're interested in and you enter their world. Second of all, you stay close to them by giving them your time and giving them affection. Give them your time. Give them your attention. Maybe that's even, in this day and age, maybe something we need to spell out. I know you've all experienced this. You ever go to a restaurant, you look at a family sitting in a booth somewhere, and they're all doing what? Everybody's got their phone out. Nobody's talking. Everybody's looking at the phone. And... um, Even when we're with our kids and our grandkids these days, there's a real temptation to be distracted by our phones. And I really, really, really want to encourage you, you, we've got to intentionally fight that. I don't know what it is about technology, but it is mesmerizing. It is just, it just absorbs our attention. Not just ours, but the littlest ones, right? Right? And so there's something about it we have to understand. Nothing wrong with technology. I'm not knocking technology, but I'm saying you have got to be careful. And young parents today, young moms, I'm telling you, I want to urge you, 
Don't spend all your time looking at social media, keeping up with the latest fashions and the latest trends and the latest bloggers. And you can be with your kids and not be with them. You ever been trying to have a conversation with someone and they keep looking at their phone? You know you don't have their attention, right? How does it make you feel? Well, that's exactly how your children feel when you're trying to spend time with them, but you're not really there. So give them your attention. I mean, look them in the eye. When your children or your grandchildren are approaching you, get down on their level. Kneel down. Get down eye to eye. Pick them up in your arms and hug them. Touch them. Kiss them. Be affectionate with them. Tell them that you love them. You can never tell them that enough or too much. Some people struggle with that. Maybe they grew up in a home where emotions were not expressed freely, and they struggle with expressing themselves. I cannot tell you how many funerals I have done through the years where I would go and meet with the family prior to the funeral so I could learn something about this person. And I would say, tell me about your dad. And here would be a man who had lived maybe 75, 85 years, and the children will sit there and they will struggle to say something about his life. And I will hear them say over and over again, well, you know, dad was a hard worker. We knew he loved us. He, he didn't say it much. He was, you know, kind of just wasn't his thing, but we knew, he, we knew he loved us because he provided for us and took care of us. Don't be that way. It may not be easy for you to express love, but you can at least write it. You can send text messages, you can send emails, you can go buy a card, you can write it in letters, you can express it over and over and over again. So if you have a hard time saying it verbally, you can at least say it in writing. Hold your children, grab them, wrestle with them, play with them. Because they need that physical affection and they need to hear over and over and over again that you love them that you're proud of them, that you're so glad they're part of your family. You can't tell them that enough. So enter their world and be interested in what they're interested in. Communicate to them. Give them your time, your attention, and affection. A third principle is this. It's, it's the golden rule. Luke 6.31, Jesus said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. We know that is the golden rule of how we're supposed to treat other people. Do you know that applies to your kids too? That applies to your grandchildren too? You treat them the way you want them to treat you. And it's so oftentimes how rude parents can be to their kids. How impatient we can be. How we don't listen to their, what they're trying to say. We interrupt them. We don't let them get out what they're trying to communicate. We communicate that it's not important. Their opinions don't matter. Now, I'm not saying you got to do everything that your child wants you to do. Obviously, you can't do that. 
But if you're at work and a coworker has a suggestion that's not really a good suggestion, do you look at them and talk down to them and criticize them and put them down and interrupt them? I mean, that's, that wouldn't be good relationships with people, right? We don't treat most strangers that way, but we'll treat our kids that way. And so say please and thank you. You want them to say it? Well, why don't you say it? If you ask them to do something, don't just say, well, it's because I said so. Be kind about it. I mean, does it hurt to ask your child to go do something and then to say, please? Does it hurt to say thank you when they've done it? To show kindness? To show manners? Of course not. You want them to respect you? You want them to want to be around you? Then you got to treat them like you want to be treated. And that, that never changes. You want your kids to want to be around you, then you're going to have to be the kind of person that when they get around you, it's a good experience. So, you ever had a boss that was so critical, that never praised anything you did, always nitpicked everything that you did, always put it down, always raising the bar, always saying you can do better? It, it, what's it like to, to work in that kind of environment? There are a lot of parents who, who are constantly on their kids to do better. No matter how good they do, they raise the bar. They're always pointing out things they do wrong. And, and they, they, their motive, obviously, is for the kid to get better, but the child comes away oftentimes feeling demoralized, Oftentimes feeling like I just can, no matter what I do, I'll never please them. When I was in high school, I was, um, played football and I was, I was the quarterback of the football team. In my sophomore year, I was, um, I was starting quarterback and we got a new coach. So the first day of practice, we've never even met the new guy. And so I don't even know what he looks like. And so we've all put on our pads, and we're all standing on the field before practice begins, and we're all just throwing the football back and forth, just messing around, waiting for the coaches to show up and waiting for uh, practice to begin. And all of a sudden, I hear this voice screaming at the top of his lungs, and I begin to realize he's talking to me. And he is hollering at me about how I'm throwing a football out there. We're just, you know, back and forth. And this guy stepped out on that field, and I mean, it started. No matter what I did, it was wrong. No matter, I'm telling I'm being honest with you, I could throw and complete a pass in a football game, and he would scream at me from the sideline that I threw it to the wrong receiver. I, I had... Boys in the huddle who just rolled their eyes when he was doing it. was unbelievable. I thought this guy hates me. I don't know what I've done to this guy. He hates me. He, he doesn't like me. Now, I loved football. I, I, I wanted to, to play football the rest of my life. I mean, that's what I wanted to do. But I wanted to quit. 
It was a horrible, horrible year. A couple of years later, I graduated from high school. This coach left our school and went to another school. Several years later, my brother was playing, and so I, I'm graduated. I go to watch him play football, and it so happened he's playing the school that this former coach of mine had gone to. And when the game is over, I run into this coach. It's the first time I've seen him in years. And he looks at me, and he said, son, I know I was hard on you, but it's because I thought you had potential. And I was trying to bring out the best in you. Well, it didn't work. <laughs> it had the total opposite effect on me because I felt like the guy hated me. I wonder how many parents inadvertently, unintentionally, how many bosses, how many friends, how many people are doing the same thing to others? Do you want someone to want to stay close to you? Then when they get around you, they really need to come away from that experience going, I feel better about myself. Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Do you think that applies to your children and your parenting? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, I messed you all up there. It says, for you know, Paul is talking to the Thessalonians, and he says, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Encouraging, urging, motivating, exhorting, lifting up, building up. It is important how we talk to our kids. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 12, it says, words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. I want to I read this in a couple of different versions. Do you have the other versions? Oh, that was chapter 16, I'm sorry. The wise in heart are called discerning, and gracious words promote instruction. Gracious words. The word gracious there, the Hebrew word means sweet. Sweet words. The NLT, New Living Translation, of the same verse says, the wise are known for their understanding, and pleasant words are persuasive. You want to influence your kids? Pleasant, sweet words are persuasive. The English Standard Version, the wise of heart is called discerning, and sweetness of speech include, increases persuasiveness. Anyone who is wise in heart is called discerning, and pleasant speech increases learning. How we speak to those we're trying to influence is very important. Kind, gracious, encouraging, complimentary uplifting words influences, but critical and harsh and difficult, mean, those words wound. 
We're told in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. How many parents can be harsh with their kids? Ephesians chapter 6, or Colossians chapter 3, rather, verse 21, it says, Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. We discourage our kids with harshness, harsh tones. So how do you influence your children? How do we raise godly kids in an ungodly world? You live for God yourself. You're a genuine, authentic model. And then you stay close to them by pursuing them, by finding their interest and getting involved and and learning about their interests, or you can talk to them about their interest, giving them your time, giving them your affections, treating them like you want to be treated, with kindness, with respect, making sure that every time your kids, if, if you made it a goal that every time your kids left your presence, they walked away feeling better about themselves, you know what would happen? They'd want to be around you more. So if you stay close to them, you will remain a major influencer for the rest of their lives. And if you are then what you ought to be, you will influence them to live for God. So I'm out of time, so let me close with this. There are some of you maybe watching right now, some of you in this room, you've done those things. And maybe your children still did not grow up to love God. And this message is not intended to make you feel guilty because every human being has their own choice between them and God. And sometimes a parent can do everything right and a child still might decide to go their own way and do something different. And so this message today is not to somehow put a guilt trip and lay blame and make you think if your kids are not serving the Lord today that somehow you didn't do something right. But as you look at your life, if, if you could honestly say that, well, I, I've made some mistakes in those ways, then you know it's never too late to turn it around. You might be a grandfather. You might be getting on up in age. And maybe for years you blew it. Maybe when your kids were in the home and they were young, maybe you weren't what you ought to be. But now you're trying to get it together. Now you're trying to live for God. Then go back to your kids and just admit that. And say, I know I did not do certain things when you were young. But I want you to know that I'm doing it now. And I love you and I want a relationship with you. It's never too late to turn it around and start being a positive influence on your kids, on your grandkids, on others. I want you to bow your heads. One of the amazing truths of the Bible is that the Almighty God wants you to be his child. He wants to be your father. And so he sent his son 
into this world so that you could relate to him. So you would know what the unseen God is like. Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And God sent his son into the world and Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins and my sins that were separating us from God and keeping us from being in relationship with God. And God pursued you. And God today is pursuing you. God loves you and God wants a relationship with you. And he sent his son and he gave him up and he died on the cross for you. And three days later, God raised him from the dead. And when God raised him from the dead, it was God saying, I've accepted the payment he made. Your sins are paid for. And now, if you will trust Jesus, if you will depend upon Jesus to be your Savior, you will cry out to Jesus Christ and ask him to do for you what you can't do for yourself. Ask him to save you from your sins and make you a child of God. He will do that right where you are right now, instantaneously. John 1.12 says, to as many as received Jesus, to them he gives the right to become children of God, even to them that believe on his name, to trust who rely upon the person of Jesus Christ. So if you'd like to become instantaneously right now a child of God, just receive him. Believe. In Jesus. That means trust him right now. Ask him right now to save you, make you God's child. You can pray a prayer like this. Dear God, I thank you for sending Jesus to show me what you're like and to die on a cross to pay for my sin. I believe that you raised him from the dead on the third day. And your word says that if I will receive Jesus into my life and trust him, that I'll become your child. So I want to do that right now. Lord Jesus, save me from my sins. Make me a child of God. Come into my life and give me a relationship with you. And from this day forward, I want to get to know you better and live my life for you. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, then I want to welcome you to the family of God because you've just instantaneously become a child of the living God. 
That's an amazing thing. And do you know that if you just prayed, maybe you're at home and you just prayed that prayer, and if you sincerely meant that, do you know there's a celebration going on in heaven right now? Because God is so thrilled over you having you as part of his family. You're going to get to be with him forever and ever and ever. And so we celebrate with you today. And now that you've come to know God and now you've become his child, you need to get to know him better. And so that's the purpose of a church is to help you get to know God better. So if you prayed that prayer with me, would you take the gray card that's in the seat back in front of you and just check the box that says, today I prayed to ask Jesus to save me from my sins. And as you walk out this morning, drop that filled out card in the offering box as you make your way out. And we'll contact you this week and try to set up a time where we can help you begin this new relationship you have with God. Maybe you'd like to join our church. Just take that gray card and check the box that says, I want to pursue membership of the church. We'll call you this week or text you, connect with you, and tell you the simple steps of how do you do that. Maybe you're our guest here today. Thank you so much for coming. I hope that you will uh, come back. Hope you were blessed. And if you wouldn't mind doing so, if you'd take the blue card that's in the seat back, just fill that out and drop it in the offering box. We're going to all be dismissed in just a moment. And don't forget to give your offerings to the Lord as you make your way out today. I appreciate you coming today. It is my hope that you and I will become people of influence by being an example, a role model, who's genuine, not perfect, genuine. And then you pursue those relationships, stay close, and you'll remain a major influencer in your child, in your friend's life. Let's stand together. Father, I pray for your people today, for those watching right now, for those in this room. I pray for them that, Lord, they might recognize that everything we've talked about today, you've done for us. You've pursued us. You've expressed your love and demonstrated your love to us. You give yourself your time to us. You build us up. Lord, all the things that we've talked about today, you are those things to us. What an amazing God you are. There's no one like you. And we leave here today just wanting to say to you, Father, we love you, and we thank you for loving us, and we want to be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.